Well, good morning. It's great to see you. Uh, I was thinking of uh, <coughs> spring yesterday, and uh, we were uh, yet, uh, yet another uh, parade of shops that we'd never seen before in, in, um, in Warrington, because everything's new. So uh, all the shops which I don't like in the world, that's where we are every Saturday night. Uh, carpet shops, furniture shops, um, DIY shops, um, what else did we go yesterday? I don't know. Anyway, all the places I don't like to go, that's where we spent spring. <laughs> <laughs> we did get to a tea room near Dunham Masjid about four o'clock, didn't we? So we got a little bit of it there. But, uh, no. So thank you, though. We're, we are settling in. Thanks for your continued cards and good wishes uh, and prayers. We value all of that. Thank you. So I have a question this morning to, as we get start off, which is, how are you at remembering sermons? Ooh, everybody hopes I don't look at them now. It's not easy, is it, to remember a sermon from a couple of weeks ago, even a week ago, no matter how brilliant the preacher. Right? Not looking at anyone. But it, it isn't easy, is it? And um, yet Matthew has collected together this, te- this series of teachings from Jesus into one place that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And he may well have given all of this at one point, but certainly they are all teachings of Jesus that are collected together into a sermon. And um, it is one of the most memorable passages of Scripture, one of the most famous passages in the New Testament, Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. And we spent the last, I think since about February or end of January, looking at different elements of the Sermon on the Mount. And um, some, some people who heard this were rubbed up the wrong way. They didn't like it. It made them very uncomfortable. We will speak about that. Other people said, this is a new teaching. We never heard this before. This is a new teaching delivered with authority. Nobody told us this before. Nobody told us it could be like this. Why did they say that? And why were some people rubbed up the, long, the wrong way? It covers uh, three chapters of Matthew, uh, 5, 6, and 7. The whole sermon is on discipleship. And it covers many topics, many, many topics. Marriage, murder, adultery, divorce, giving, storing up treasure not worrying, praying, many topics on discipleship. But if we're serious about discipleship, we should be serious about this section of Scripture. Uh, It's advanced discipleship, some of it. It's not easy, some of this. But today, what I want to do is uh, stand back and just um, for one one Sunday, just stand back from the detailed passages that we've, we've been looking at and ask a couple of basic questions. What is uh, the gist of this message? Is there one big idea in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount? Is there one big idea? And if there is, what's the big idea? What's the common theme that seems to run through Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7? Is there one idea that we can get hold of for ourselves today? And we will look at briefly at all three of those uh, chapters, at sections from all three. It was uh, very much... Uh, a disruptive message that Jesus brought, very disruptive. People were shocked, angered. Some people were felt provoked and uncomfortable, hard-hitting and provocative from this unknown rabbi to whom people were flocking. And it was designed to unsettle the religious people of his day. And it's designed to unsettle the religious people of our day. And sometimes that can be us as well. So we need to look to ourselves as well. Sometimes that can be us. And that's okay to be unsettled by Scripture sometimes because Scripture will tell us what to do about it. 
in a series of sayings, Jesus seems to say to the people who are listening, you've got all this wrong. You've got it wrong. Your religion, your belief, your faith, you've got it wrong. You're doing the wrong things. You thought that being close to God was all about doing something. You thought that being close to God was all about ticking a box. You thought that being close to God was all about being seen to do the right things. You thought that being close to God was all about being in the right place at the right time, but you've got it wrong. God is interested in something else. Now, as we start off, let me say from the start that what we do is really really important. God cares about what we do very much. But there's something that comes before that, something that is more fundamental to that, something that is more important than simply our actions. Beings even, I would say, that even doing the, the, going through the religious motions may actually distract us. If, if all we think about is getting to church at half ten, reading our Bible at, seven, at eight in the morning or whatever time it is, praying at some other time, those are good things. But if we become uh, a slave to, to the doing, to the actions then we can actually be distracted from what God really wants. So what does God really want then? God wants more than that, but what is that? Well, for followers of Jesus, followers of Jesus have to learn, have to move from external conformance to the rules to internal transformation of the heart. We have to move from external conformance to a set of rules to being internally having our hearts transformed. So external, meaning something on the outside that that we see or were seen to do, we have to change from that to something that's inside. Conforming, just keeping a set of rules, a set of tick boxes, we have to move from that to allowing God to change our hearts to transformation. And we have to move from a set of rules that's written down somewhere, even if it's in the Bible, to actually what God wants to see, see written in our hearts. So we'll unpack this this saying as we go through today. First of all, here's a question. What do you think of the Pharisees? What do you think of the Pharisees? Do you think they're they're a good lot? Good people? Bad people? that's, that's, That's the good answer, actually. You know, we often think that in the Bible, the Pharisees get a bad write up, right? They're always doing the wrong thing, always in the wrong place, always arguing with Jesus. And we tend to um, put them in that, we tend to categorize them as just a really bad bunch of people. But actually, as Simon said, actually that's not true. By and large, they were men trying to do the right thing, just like we do. They were trying to do the right thing. That's what They weren't out to, to disobey God. They wanted to be close to God. They wanted to get close to God. They wanted to keep to the faith. They wanted to be honoured, they wanted to honour their faith. But somehow they'd gone off track. And the, the reason they'd gone off track, says Jesus, is you're just sticking to the rules. That's all you do. You stick to the rules and you tell other people, stick to the rules. And that's all it's become. So sticking to the code of conduct, no matter what your motivation is, that's not right. Ticking boxes no matter if you're bitter and hurting inside, that's not right. Focusing on what we do out there rather than what we think in here, Jesus says, no, that's not right. That's, all, that's what this religion has become. That's what you're teaching. That's the load you're putting on other people. And Jesus' reply was, you've got this the wrong way around. If you start with the heart, then you will do the right things anyway. But you need to start. It has to be that way around. 
And he uses this catchphrase, which we'll look at this morning, um, certainly in five and to some extent six. He says, you thought being close to God was all about this, but now I tell you it's about this. You thought it was about this, but I tell you it's about this. And he uses that phrase over and over again. You thought God wanted this, but actually he wants something else. He wants this. And we can make the same mistake. We also can think, uh, can pick up a set of rules and which eventually we become a slave to, which eventually we think, well, this is all really what God's interested in and I must do the rules. Now, what we do is important, but God is interested in why we're doing it and how we're doing it, and that's more, even more important. So this did rub up people the wrong way. Some people said, well, we, we've spent our whole lives, our, our whole careers are invested in these rules. There were 613 rules in the Old Testament, 613. And, and I don't know what they all were. You know, you know what ten of them are in the Ten Commandments. There were loads of others, hundreds and hundreds, and it, they were fanatical about keeping to the rules and making sure that everybody kept to the rules. And that number has grown and grown over the years, by the way. So, um, you know, Orthodox Jews today, and we're very close to people of the Jewish faith, but they have added all kinds of, of new rules. So one that I remember well from a friend is the, the Shabbat lift. So if you're an Orthodox Jew on the Sabbath, you're not allowed to press a button so that they have lifts that's, that you, with no buttons. They stop at every floor. But you're allowed to get in the lift and walk out of the lift, but it's rule after rule after rule. You know, that, that's what faith had become. And we have to be careful that, we're, that we think, well, this is them, but it's not us. This can be us as well. So, um, let's look at, let's, to try and understand this, to unpack this, let's look at some of the passages that Jesus taught. And first of all, we turn to Matthew 5 where Jesus uses this catchphrase, you thought it was about this, but now I tell you it's about this. So chapter 5 from 21, you've heard it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. You've heard it was said this, but now I tell you this. You've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery, that seems fair. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery. Ooh, that's harsh. You've heard it was said this, but now I tell you this. You've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a nail for a nail, a foot for a foot. But now I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, let them have the other cheek also. You've heard it was said this, but now I tell you this. You've heard it was said... Love your neighbor, hate your enemy, sounds reasonable. But now I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be called sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. You've heard it was said this, but now I tell you this. You thought it was all about this, but I'm telling you it's not. It's about this. You thought it was all about doing the right thing and ticking the box, but I tell you, it's about having your hearts changed, which will cause you to do the right thing anyway. If you start with the transformation of the heart, those things will come, come naturally anyway. Again, for followers of Jesus, we have to move from external conformance to a set of rules 
to allowing God to internally transform our hearts from external conformance to the law, as it was then, to internal transformation of the heart. It's a big step. It's a big change for people of that day. It was a sea change, a monumental change. They had no idea about this. Doing the right things, let's repeat again, is good. God is interested in what we do. God, But God wants our hearts changed so that we will know what to do even when there isn't a rule. You don't need 613 plus plus rules, says God. You need your heart changed so you will know what to do in the new situation. There can't be a rule for every button on every lift. That we will do it from the right motives and... Jesus then goes on, chapter 6, if you have your hearts changed, you will also do it for the right reasons, for the right motives. Let's take a brief look at Matthew chapter 6. I think it's from verse 1. So Jesus now talks about, stops talking about what you do, he starts talking about how you're doing it. Again, how are you doing these things? Not just doing them. Be careful, he says, not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. So when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You thought, you've heard it was said, give to the needy, and that's right. But now I tell you, how you give to the needy, I care about that. And when you pray, do not pray like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen. I want you to pray, says Jesus. You've heard it was said, pray, that's right. But now I tell you, how you pray matters to God. And when you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show people they are fasting. God wants us to fast. You've heard it was said, fast. But now I tell you, how you do it, I care about that. See, giving, praying and fasting are all important. And people knew that, but they got hold of the action of doing this thing, forgetting why they're doing it and forgetting how they're doing it. So, so God says, I want you to do it from the right motivation with the right hearts. So what we do is important, is important, no question. But God says in the Sermon on the Mount, this is teaching for disciples, people who are serious about discipleship. This is not really new Christians, people who are serious. God says... How you do it and why you do it matters as well. That's the internal transformation of the heart as opposed to simply external conformance to a set of rules. So, quick question. Was Jesus changing the Bible when he said this? Was Jesus changing the Old Testament law because he was saying, well, you've heard it was said this, but I'm telling you this. Well, first of all, he certainly could have done if he wanted to, Jesus was God. As John tells us, he was there in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, through Jesus, all things were made. So he could have done, if he wanted to. Or as the creeds of our church say, of, of Jesus, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, very God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Jesus was not created by God. He's not a creation of God. He is God. And if God wanted to change scripture, he could have done. But actually, I think it's more true to say that Jesus was actually bringing us back to why God wrote that in the first place, the attitude of our hearts that God had in mind when he gave us those rules in the Old Testament. 
So Jesus wasn't so much changing the Old Testament as fulfilling it, as bringing us the meaning that God always meant us to have from the beginning. God wasn't simply interested in the outward actions. He was interested in changing us here so that we do the outward actions anyway. Internal transformation of our hearts. And so, also in the Sermon on the Mount, and we've had sermons on this, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You can bring out the savour, the flavours of the world. You can bring out the good flavours in the world if you are, have internally transformed hearts, if your hearts are transformed. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. The city on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before men. If we have our hearts transformed, we will naturally be salt and light. We will naturally do that. There doesn't need to be a rule to do that. There doesn't need to be anything written to do that. We will naturally do that. And Jesus says, if you have your hearts transformed, you will build up treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Internally, internal transformation of the heart is what Jesus cares about for us as Christians today as well as those early followers listening to that sermon on the hillside. So let's just recap for a minute before we go on a little. The Sermon on the Mount does cover many of the topics. It does. There's a lot lot in there. But there is one theme running through and I think it is this. What we do matters, yes, but how we do them, why we do them, comes first with God. Just focusing on the what, on the activities, can lead us away from God. Transformed hearts will know the right things to do, even when there are no rules. Or, as Isaiah says, famously in Isaiah 28, do this, do that, a rule for this, a rule for that in his criticism of the people of his day, even 700 years before Jesus. And then thirdly, on this uh, transformation of the heart and why we need transformed hearts, if we can do this, if we can allow God to transform our hearts, to really change us from inside, then this will protect us from all kinds of destructive sin, from all kinds of destructive sin that just sticking to the rules cannot What do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? Let me just step aside for one minute. And uh, does anyone remember this picture? Put your hand up if you remember this picture. It's in Jonathan's sermon in February. What's it a picture of? River Thames, right? Does anybody remember the purpose of this picture? The source of the River Thames. And? Well, what the source became. Yeah, okay. So basically, um, Jonathan talked about this in February and talked about, it was the sermon was called Murder, Adultery and Divorce, and he was saying, well his point was, and he brought this very impressive water feature from his garden, didn't he? (laughs) That that just about passed water when when it was (laughs) greatly encouraged. But his point was, when the Thames meets the sea, it's a massive flow, and it's too late then to start changing, to try, you can't influence the Thames when it meets the sea. So, for example, with adultery, Um, when the man and the woman, who are both in other marriages, finally get to go to bed together and commit adultery, it's too late at that point to to try and stand back from that. Almost nobody could resist that temptation. You should have looked to that way back upstream, upstream when you could have done something. Let me explain a little bit more again on the idea of adultery. Jesus says 
The adultery happened when you gazed lustfully at someone else. You've heard it was said, do not commit adultery. But now I tell you, if, you, if a man gazes at a woman lustfully, and it can be the other way around, you've already committed adultery in your heart, says Jesus. Okay? And by the way, this is different to just noticing that someone's good looking. Right? If you notice that's a great looking guy or that's a pretty girl, that's just good eyesight. Or it might be bad eyesight. <laughs> Not looking at anybody. <laughs> that's, that's okay. But if, if, you, if that then goes on to mentally undressing that person, to gazing at them, to imagining, then it becomes lust. That's what Jesus is talking about. And what he's saying is, at that point, you could have done something. That's the source. You can alter the source at that point. See, when the, the two people in the office, let's say, the man and the woman, colleagues, they're both in other marriages, and they get on well, they have fun, they flirt a little bit, and then they say, let's go out for a drink. What's wrong with that? Two colleagues going out for a drink. There's nothing wrong with that, except that they both know in their hearts there's something more here. Just, there's a bit of chemistry here. They can both feel it. And at that point, they could have done something. It, it was relatively easy at that point to say, no, let's not, I'm not doing that. Or when they go on that business trip together and they stay in the same hotel in adjacent rooms, what's wrong with that? Well, nothing's wrong with that except that they both know that something could happen. They both know that. You know that. I know that. There's a chemistry there. There's something else going on. And you can do something at that point. You could have done something. You could have said, let's stay in another hotel. I'll stay here. And when he finally comes to knock on the door in the evening for a late night drink and that turns into going to bed together, what, what, what this is saying is it's, it's too late at that point. Very few people could resist temptation of that magnitude. When the Thames meets the sea, you, it's very hard to control the flow of the Thames where it meets the sea. Upstream we could have done something. Externally conforming to a law when the river meets the sea is really difficult is really difficult, almost impossible for many of us, that, that level of temptation. But a transformed heart realises this upstream and, and recognises the situation upstream and recognises, actually, I'm just a weak man. Whatever else people may think, and I'm subject to the same temptations as any other man. Recognise An internally transformed heart will recognise that at the source and say, actually, I get on really well with you in the office, but let's just keep it to that. That's okay. So, with that somewhat lengthy introduction, let us turn to today's passage. I'm just kidding because, uh, well, I'm not kidding. We are going to turn to today's passage, but it, it will be brief because today's passage is another example of the same idea where we are with the difference between internal transformation and externally trying to follow rules. Okay, it's the same idea. Um, so we've looked, stood, we've, before that, we've stood back and looked at the Sermon on the Mount, generally, Matthew 5 and 6. The, path, the passage in Matthew 7 is another application of the same idea where we focus on rules and appearances, but God says, look to your heart first. So here's today's passage, actually, we can read it from that. Matthew 7 from verse 1. It's about judging. Jesus says... Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. 
And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So Jesus moves on to hypocrisy. And you will find in Matthew's Gospel and all the Gospels, hypocrisy is the sin which is most difficult to forgive. Most difficult. We can talk about that some other time. But hypocrisy was in the nature of the people of the day, particularly of the teachers of the day. And it is, again, a state of the heart, of the untransformed heart. The focus is on the external. Well, they need to be corrected, not the internal. Let me look to my own heart first. Hypocrisy is where I say, I'm going to correct you, and I've seen all the things that you're doing wrong, Phil. I'm really, you know, you may not know about them, but I've seen them. And I know about them. I've got a list of them here. Let me go and tell you what you're doing wrong. That's, that's hypocrisy, isn't it? Where basically, it's also not a very nice way of talking, but it, it is hypocritical. Let me uh, give you a, a little bit, if I can, of advice, because hypocrisy is rampant in churches up and down the land, up and down the land, uh, particularly when it comes to this idea of correcting someone, of correcting someone's behaviour. It's interesting to me that uh, conflicts, when they occur at work, are always easier to resolve than when they occur in church. Always easier to resolve. We could talk about that, why that is. But when, if you are ever tempted to correct someone or, or complain about their behaviour, let me ask you, ask yourself this question, which I always try to ask myself if I ever have to correct anybody, if I'm ever asked to do that. I always ask myself this question. The question is this, right? This thing that they said, this, this unpleasant statement they made, this insult that they gave, this inconsiderate comment that they made out loud, which is really upsetting you, ask yourself this question. Could you ever make a comment like that? Could you ever do that? Could you ever say that? If the answer is no, you are not the person to correct them. You haven't seen the plank in your own eye at this point. Let me say it again. If, if somebody has upset you by something they've done, some inconsistency, they've left the room in a mess again, they haven't thought about other people again, they've made a mess of this again, they're just so inconsiderate, I'm going to go and tell them, I'm going to complain about them. Before you do that, ask yourself this question. That thing which they did, could you ever do that? Could that be part of your character? Is that something that you might do, ever? If the answer is no, you are not the person to correct them or complain about them. You haven't seen the plank in your eye. Let somebody else do it. Another, another occasion of hypocrisy in the church, not just this church, but every church. Let me ask you another question. Right? Have you ever sat in a sermon and thought, this is good, I'm glad he's here, he really needs to hear this. <laughs> she really needed to hear this, I'm so glad. Get, I hope she's listening. 
Oh, I wish she was here. She really needed to hear this this week. I wonder in Darren's message last week where we talked about the tongue and the way we speak to each other and the way we deal with each other. I'm willing to put money, I'm willing to bet that some people here sat here thinking, I'm glad he's here. I really need to hear it. Preach it, Darren, preach it. Well, maybe they do need to hear it, but what about you? And what about me? Don't we need to hear this as well? If we don't, we've not seen the planks in our own eye. Says Jesus, first take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the plank from the other person's eye. So, let's start to come to a close then. How do we do this? This is, uh, as I said, it's you know, in some ways advanced teaching for disciples. Internal transformation of the heart. It sounds like a big notion, a big idea. How do we do this? How do we even start this? There are lots of things that could be said at this point. Lots of passages we could look at. Right? But sometimes in a sermon, right, people, you're, you're sitting there thinking, well, that was quite interesting, I hope, sitting there thinking that. But, but really, you know, Chris, you've given us three chapters of Matthew's Gospel. You've given us a lot of theology, a lot of stuff thrown at us. Please, just give me something, one thing I can take away, one thing I can remember. Give me something I can do. Okay, I will give you one simple thing you can take away, one simple thing you can remember, one simple thing you can do. Are you ready? This phrase, soft hearts and thick skins, we need, we can start this internal transformation of the heart if we grab hold of this idea. Soft hearts and thick skins. See, the Pharisees had gone off track. They were hard-heartedly enforcing the rules on everybody. They were the only people who knew them, judging people by external standards, unmoved by the plight of of ordinary folk and intolerant of their failure, hard-hearted. We too can have hard hearts. We too can be zealously religious and lose sight of God's purposes, that God wants to change our hearts. At church, at home, at work, so often we can be hard-hearted, can't we? We can be unsympathetic. We can be quick to criticise, quick to see when someone does something wrong. We can be condemning. And we can be thin-skinned, so, offend- so easily offended. So often, in churches particularly, we are so easily offended, so offendable, so thin-skinned. It doesn't take much from someone else to offend us. But soft hearts empathise with the other person. Soft hearts try to understand them. Soft hearts will say, I need to talk to them to find out their point of view because they will know something about this that I haven't grasped yet, that I haven't understood. Soft hearts focus not just on doing, but on how and why. Soft hearts are interested in the motivation. And soft hearts are teachable. Soft hearts will recognise dangerous situations upstream before it becomes full-blown adultery. Soft hearts and thick skins don't go around taking offence at everybody. Soft hearts, are thick skins, sorry, are, are hard to offend, don't find fault, quick to forgive. 
Soft hearts and thick skins. Can we develop soft hearts and thick skins at home, at work, in church, towards each other? That is a big step on the way to allowing God to internally transform your heart. If we just get hold of this phrase. Internal transformation of the heart, yes, it takes a lifetime. But a soft heart and a thick skin, you can start that today. Let's pray. Father God, we know, Lord, that what we do concerns you. But Lord, help us to understand that how we do things and why we do things concerns you even more. Thank you, Lord, that you are in the business of transformation. That is your business. That is what you do day in, day out. Help us, Lord, today, this week, help us, Father, to have softer hearts towards people around us, understanding hearts, empathetic Help us, Lord, to have thick skins, not easily offended, understanding, forgiving. We pray this, Father, in our homes, in our church, in our workplaces this week. In Jesus' name, amen.